Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart and you are listening to Finding Your Path, the podcast where you will hear from our guests on how they found their paths in life, family and their careers. Today, we'll be spending time with Leila mckenzie Dellis, who is the founder and CEO of Dial Global and the MD of Leila McKenzie Associates. During this talk, Leila had so much to share about her career journey, upbringing and challenges she has had to overcome. This is good. So let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Finding Your Path, the podcast where I speak to leaders, achievers, and the celebrities around how they found their paths in life, their careers and relationships. I mean, today I've got someone that is very special, very unique. I'm going to find out a lot more about her. She's an author. She's a powerful proponent around diversity and inclusion. And she's also the founder and CEO of Dial Global and managing director of Layla McKenzie Associates. So Layla, I welcome you onto the show today. How are you? Herman, thank you ever so much. Uh, this is actually the first time I've ever been interviewed on a podcast show. So I'm a little bit nervous, even though I know you well, and obviously we've chatted and I guess we could have been podcasting beforehand, but um, the introduction was very nice indeed. And I am usually in your shoes. And so it's a pleasure to be on the show. I know you do a lot of fantastic work yourself. And so thrilled to be here. Well, you know something, we're, we're just going to have a really cordial conversation. I mean, you're, a, you're an excellent speaker. I've seen you interview others. And, you know, when it's not recording, you're very passionate and, you know, very expressive, which is quite powerful. And it's just really about enabling people to get to know a bit more about the person behind the plan and what gives you all the fire in your belly that you have around um, equality and championing all the different kinds of parties that need to have a voice. So I just want to start with asking, so you're recognised as someone that's very senior, connects people around executive search and very connected to a lot of different networks. So everyone can look at you in a different way, but when you look at you, who is Layla to you? Wow, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> Who is Layla to me? Oh my goodness. Well, my husband would probably say um, a bit of a pain in the backside sometimes uh, with a smile on his face. But to be honest with you, very down to earth, down to earth. Um, you know, obviously, you know, because I know you work as hard as I do, my goodness, working very, very hard, um, you know, all around the clock, um, but down to earth and, um, you know, I hope a fun person to be around, really, when not working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like, I mean, you've got a number of organisations, got a number of interests. I know that you're with the IOD as well on the executive committee, you know, and I see that you're very passionate around giving back as well. Um, I know that you've done some work with the Samaritans and I, I see you do so much. I'm just trying to think, how do you find the time to fit it in? But what I want to know is what are some of the qualities that you would say that you have, some of the attributes that are synonymous with Layla? Some of the attributes? Well, I guess if I take it back a little in terms of my 
career and my upbringing, which was, you know, a very humble one, actually, um, back in the day. So I, I was adopted by two incredible parents. Now, obviously, I would say that I'm very biased. I, I love my parents. I think they're the best people in the world, um, my brother and my husband. Um, but we were born in Hong Kong. Um, back when Hong Kong was a British colony and then before it went back to China we came to the UK and grew up in Yorkshire so from the age of six I grew up in in Yorkshire in Harrogate in a little town uh, which is very very lovely indeed Um, albeit uh, we were quite conscious I think or at least I was um, of being a little different only Chinese children in school and you know, we stood out a bit. Um, you know, and I remember at that time, you know, kind of being young and kids are, are wonderful, but also can be <laughs> very straight talking. Um, you know, we're very uh, to the point about being different, having different eyes and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, back then, you know, I often found myself wishing that I had blue eyes and blonde hair and mm. that I fitted in as much as I possibly could with everyone else. So I've always been very aware of being uh, quite different or not fitting the mold. And I think that's probably translated a huge amount into uh, the rest of the, you know, I suppose the skills and the attributes, if you want to call them that, um, which have made me me, if that's Mm -hmm. the right way of putting it, as I've developed as a human being into my more recent career. And, you know, obviously is why... I'm so incredibly passionate about diversity and inclusion and belonging. Mm. And I think I said when we first spoke, Herman, that for me, I think genuinely the reason I've been put on this planet is to further the movement around diversity and inclusion and belonging within all different guises. Because I think mm. each and every one of us relate to different elements of diversity and inclusion and belonging in often multiple different ways. Not just those physical diversities, the color of our skin, our gender, Mm. etc etc but the invisible diversities which could exist around uh, mental health and Mm. and, you know religion belief system Mm. perhaps Mm. social mobility and all of those things that make us us as a human being Mm. i think are you know often you know product of 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 how we've grown up or, or what our life and our lived experiences have been and you know certainly for me uh you know i'm i'm fortunate and blessed to have such a remarkable family and also a remarkable team and people that I get the opportunity to work with on a day-to-day basis but it's not always been easy mm. I should say it's still not easy it's mm. never easy but if it was too easy would we want to do it anyway I think it is those cuts those scrapes those bruises and some of those experiences that we have certainly in our our younger days and younger career days I think especially lots of knocks lots of no's lots of doors shut in face and you kind of question whether you're good enough really uh, Mm. to be doing the things that you want to do but I think resilience to come back to your point on key traits and attributes is certainly something that I have not necessarily through choice (laughs) but managed to put into my toolkit and I am proud to say now that mm. I'm a resilient person. Yeah. I like to think I'm a resilient person and a hardworking person uh, to go along with that. Yeah, I was just thinking around um, when you're speaking about your journey and speaking about the different things that you've gone through, um, I would say it's probably quite an adventure, you know, um, the, th- the different things that you've gone through, the different things you've overcome, the different things you've experienced, you know, and yeah, definitely 
and resilience is a powerful um, trait to 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 develop. I, I feel it's necessary in all walks of life, anyway. And just having a really significant work ethic, I definitely would know that that's a big part of you as well. But also, I mean, would you say having empathy, being caring, you know, is that something that you would say you that that you resonate with? Because of just the passion that you have for diversity, the passion that you have for um, creating equality, um, would you say that's a, that's a quality or something like that? A hundred million percent, ten times over. I don't think you can be passionate and do diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and try and further that without having the empathy. Now, I'm an absolute true believer of leading with the heart. Um, and genuinely, I know it sounds a little bit twee, but putting people first. Mm. Um, now, and I think I was reading a very interesting article the other day about human, um, human leadership and empathetic-led leadership. And I think if you were talking about this a number of years ago, uh, people would have perhaps said, well, that's very pink and fluffy and everything like that. Actually, mm. I think what with the volatile uncertain um you know pretty um ambiguous world that we live in actually emotional intelligence empathy and real caring genuine human leadership is something that cannot be replicated or at least Alexa can't quite replicate it just yet because clearly digital is moving very very quickly but I think um you know the the long The, the deep-rooted hierarchies and white ivory towers, perhaps, of archaic archetypal leadership of yesteryear are starting to crumble. Mm. And I think businesses that don't have that true authenticity and that purpose at the heart of the brand and what they stand for are going to struggle moving forward because so many things in this changing world are, are constantly being disrupted um, mm. humans are being replaced often by automation and I think there's a big fear um, towards automation and other aspects of work where people worry um, you know I've even worried thinking oh my goodness you know it's so many different things being automated but actually um, the one thing that really can't be automated is the power of the actual human being and the power of that actual human empathy, that empathy and that real longing for learning that makes you want to scratch below the surface of one another, look behind their eyes, mm. scratch below the surface of their skin and really understand what it is that makes them tick, what makes their heart beat, what mm. makes them want to do what they do every single day and get out of bed that can't be replicated. Being genuine can't be replicated. And so arguably emotive, human, empathetic leadership, to your point, I think will be the thing that makes businesses, brands, individuals, leaders that we want to follow stand out from the crowd in the future. And I think as an organization, if you're not looking at your purpose and your why and what makes you exist for the greater good of wider society i think it will be a long road moving forward mm. wow i think we're gonna we're gonna dive a bit deeper into that um what i do want to consider or discuss 
is I've seen that you've got a very senior role, you know, um, doing executive search and placing CEOs in multinational organizations and so forth. And I'm seeing that you're so passionate as well around championing people, so passionate about leveling the playing field, so passionate about encouraging people to be the best version of themselves and giving people a chance and so forth. Has it always been that way or did something happen along the path that you were journeying that kind of encouraged you to have this sense of real conviction and imperative as well as your seniority of working and placing leaders? Did something happen along the path or has it always been that way? Thanks so much for the question, Herman. And to answer your point, in probably what's going to be a slightly long-winded way, so I will apologise first and foremost, but yes, there have been definite pivotal moments in my life and in my career. Um, you know, it's certainly not always been that way, in inverted commas. Um, when I, in fact, this is one of the things that I'm most proud of, but when I graduated from university, I got a first-class honours degree. I'm dyslexic, and mm. I got a first, and I got the highest mark in the year, which sounds fantastic, right? And I was proud of it, um, very proud of it indeed, but I went out to the market to apply for many, many corporate roles. I couldn't get one of them. Not one single one of them. I applied for every corporate role out there from the big four through to even the HMRC. <laughs> um, no offense, anyone who works for the HMRC, brilliant organization, couldn't get through the graduate um, enrollment process. And so it led me on this journey where I, because I was doing a lot of contract work and um, doing a lot of work within the events and the promotional space, working for big brands anyway, on a ad hoc interim basis. Um, I continued doing that. I mean, it was, and it was really disheartening. It was really, really disheartening at the time. And, you know, I mean, it brought me to tears on multiple occasions, you know, that kind of waiting for the letter, being rejected and, and going off to apply for, for another role. And, and I mean, that was really tough. And, you know, so I guess the, the career path that I took was quite an unusual one. It's not necessarily your typical career path. I didn't, um, you know, intend to go out to try and be a entrepreneur in inverted commas. And I still sometimes question whether I have the right to call myself an entrepreneur because I used to think, wow, entrepreneurs are, you know, big and successful and everything like that. And I certainly don't feel like I, I, I'm there yet. Um, but um, I, I actually went off and, and continued doing a lot of the contract work that I did. I, I saved I saved some money. I, I bought a house when I was 21. And then I really quite randomly ended up deciding I wanted to run a tea room, which I know sounds very peculiar, but I, I had this rose-tinted glasses idea that I would start a tea room and this cafe because I love baking and I love making cupcakes. And, <laughs> and so I, I sublet a grade two listed Victorian building in York <clears throat> on a very famous street on the mm. same road of lots of, uh, on the same road as lots of other successful restaurants and I started the tea room um, but really it wasn't a small project it was a 35 cover restaurant it needed to be refurbished sandblasted the the, the walls um, every little detail from having the tables and chairs crafted and baking the cakes myself by hand, I did, including writing the menu with no right. food and drink experience other than washing up dishes in Starbucks and mm. being a barista, as they called um, baristas in Starbucks back in those days. Um, within eight months, it failed. 
um, which was super tough. And I had my first nervous breakdown. Uh, it was losing money hand over fist. And, um, you know, I was kind of in this tea room watching people go past the glass windows, you know, late on a Friday night, all out drinking. I was early 20s and I was thinking, what on earth am I doing with my life here? This is just, what am I doing? And I remember, <laughs> I remember um, getting terribly upset um, and mum and dad came to pick me up from the tea room and I couldn't talk about tea or cakes for literally a year afterwards. Um, dad, um, dad said, um, and if he's listening, um, he probably will laugh now, but at the time it was not funny. He said, Layla, for God's sake, get a real job, get a real job. And I was like, okay, dad, okay. Um, and I had my first nervous breakdown at that point, didn't leave the house for two weeks. And, uh, you know, went on antidepressants, went to see the doctor. Um, you know, it was a horrible, horrible experience because I thought I'd failed in every way, shape or form and went mm. back on to the applying for jobs uh, mm. scenario and uh, ended up working in the wonderful world of recruitment, uh, which is how it came about. Um, so I worked for two privately owned firms um, within kind of scientific recruitment and then food recruitment. Um, and then I set up my own business literally mm. a, a year and a half later. So... Um, I worked for someone for a year and a half worth of my of my life um, mm. after the tea room saga and uh, and decided I was set up. So I set up um, a, a, another recruitment business. I set it up from my front room, mm. two up, two down, literally yellow pages, plugged the business phone lines into the front room, started recruiting apprentices. Um, my first apprentice, Cameron, um, has a, an office desk underneath the uh, the stairs in my front room, which was also my lounge, because it was a very small house in West Didsbury in Manchester. So it was kind of, I used to call them Harry Potter, because he was kind of working away under the stairs. And uh, and then we grew into a larger office, and, uh, you know, I overgeared the business. Overgeared the business, mm. uh, closed the business. Uh, so it was a second failed business. Um, you know, again, I thought, oh, my goodness, here, took stock, and... And, um, and then started another business, which is Layla McKenzie Associates these days. And obviously, you know, you know, feel very lucky and privileged that I have um, the exact search business and obviously Dial um, as a sister business, which stands for Diverse, Inclusive, Aspirational Leaders sitting alongside. But to answer your original question, I think the pivotal times in my life and in my career from a business perspective were not only setting up the businesses mm. and working for myself for the first time, learning how to, you know, you run a business yourself, so you know it, you know, you're doing payroll, you're finance manager, you're, mm. uh, you're head salesperson, you're head marketing person, you're head tech developing person, you're everything mm. to everyone. Mm. Um, and I'm sure entrepreneurs listening and thinking, yep, yep, I've been there before and it's blooming well tough. Um, mm. Uh, but then, I mean, I think the other key piece really was as I started to make a name for myself within the world of exec search, I used to do um, twice annual events with a, with a very big accounting firm um, with a partner who is to this day a very good friend and someone I admire and respect. And we used to do a lot of these roundtables with C-suite executives within, um, within private equity and within the FMCG industry, actually. And... Um, and I usually would bring a number of senior leaders and we'd have some speakers and have dinner and it was a great conversation. And one day it just dawned on me that I was the only female in the room, 
only person of a certain age, someone made a comment and I suddenly felt very, very, it was like a shock. It was like a panic. I was like, oh my God, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? I'm the only one. The females who were due to attend had cancelled. It happened to be because of childcare. Um, not saying that that's the case for all women, but it literally... I was the only one and I thought, oh my God, is this what it's like within, um, you know, all corporate organizations? Where is the drop-off? And obviously I interview a lot of candidates. I mean, I interview for, a, you know, that is my profession, ultimately speaking, is, is interviewing people and understanding them. And, you know, you see in all different aspects of diversity, whether they be visible or invisible, there's actually a huge disparity of those wealth of diverse minds at the top table and at those C-suite, ELT, CLT levels, which was very curious indeed for me. So that was another key facet to the career. And I think something that really is stuck with me up until this day, and there's been various other things that have happened, people that have been nice, people who have not been too nice, um, that, that, that kind of shape you on your path. But ultimately, um, they've resulted in the work that I do today being very much around diversity, inclusion and belonging and how we can actually move that dial because diversity, inclusivity, feeling you belong makes a massive difference. And ultimately, it is what drives business, profit, innovation, all of those great things. But ultimately, it's also the right thing to do and it's something that each and every one of us have inside. Everyone is diverse depending on the context and we should all be inclusive because it is good business and wider society. Mm. Wow, what an answer. You know, you, you gave me the heads up that it was going to be uh, an explanatory answer and it definitely was. And you, you know something, what's very important for me is being able to see what the impetus is, what is the catalyst, where does this passion come from? Why is the well so deep? You know, um, sometimes people can do things because the, it's, it's the right thing to do. And it, sometimes you can do things that are obligation, you know. And I think that those things lack power, they lack conviction, they lack drive, they lack um, backbone as well. Because a lot of times when you're standing out, you've got to be bold. You know, sometimes you're not going to be the favourite person in the room because you've got a stance and so forth. So it takes a lot of courage as well and when I was just listening to you sharing your story and so forth and also when you just shared around um, having the experience of, of, of having a nervous breakdown and, and in a way where you were just very matter-of-factly to tell the truth like being able just to share I went through that has it always been that way to you because I know a lot of times there's stigma around people just being honest around their mental health and what they go through and I feel it's probably becoming more prevalent now that people are speaking about it. But was it a journey to get to that place? Have you gone through the taboo? Has it never mattered? Or is it something that you're much more cognizant and expressive about, about now? Absolutely. And no, it's not always been that way. I and I mean, I wrote very, very briefly in my book a little bit about me, because namely the book is about other people and mm. um, bringing our you know, I know it's quite an overused phrase these days, but bringing our full selves to work, that is far easier said than it is done. And I spent many, many, many years not being myself, 
pandering to expectations, trying to be a certain way, trying to puff up my chest and, you know, hold my head high when I went into a room because I thought it is what people expected of me. Mm. So, no, it definitely hasn't always been that way. And for many years, I tried to hide who I really was. And I think, you know, through the various things that have happened, through the various things that I've experienced, I think I got to that place and it was really when I found and it sounds terribly cheesy, but who I really was and what my purpose in life was, which I genuinely think, as cheesy as it sounds, is to further diversity, inclusion and belonging. That is what it is. I was like, oh, my God, that is what it is. It was like that light bulb moment. I was like, oh, my God, this explains everything that I have done, everything that I am, everything I can do to support other people, and this explains it all. And I kind of... And I could feel it was it was that like aha moment, <laughs> uh, really. And I kind of, I mean, because we all care what everyone thinks, right? Everyone cares what people think. And I think if we say we don't, we are lying to ourselves. Because I still care a huge amount what people think, but I care a lot more about what the people that I know, like, love, and trust think mm. than those whose opinions, frankly don't matter Mm. and I think when you're younger there's many people that come in and out of your life there's people that exist in early chapters of your personal book and your personal story that aren't going to exist at the end Mm. and hey that's often a good thing because Mm. you can't have all of the characters in the book in every single one of the chapter where's the story then um actually I think you get to a point and I think we all find our different points at different times. For me, it was pretty late on in life. Mm. I've just turned 34, and I tell you, I feel much older. Um, you know, mm. hopefully this won't be on, on video afterwards in the podcast. You can probably see some of grey hair starting to appear <laughs> and the wrinkles on my face. But for me, I got to that point where I thought, Do you know what, hey, life is short. Who really gives a... Mm. If they, not everyone is going to like you. If they do, fabulous. And if they don't, well, do you care what they think? Because mm. if you do, okay, fine. But if you don't, what is the big deal? It's just vanity otherwise, isn't it? And so it takes even more energy to be someone that you are not. Mm. Then what's the point? I've read a really interesting article the other day that said minorities and by minorities this could be anyone who is in a minority in a certain situation spend 30 percent of their energy trying to fit in and worrying about fitting in and I thought to myself hey Mm. imagine if those people spent an extra 30 percent of their time on being productive and doing positive things that made a difference in the workplace or a difference in society or even in a family situation, wherever it might be, imagine what environment we would be living in and working in. Wow. I, oh, oh, there's so much to talk about, Leila. I mean, I think that that's such a brilliant segue into our break. I I definitely want to delve into on the other half. I want to delve into 
where was where you're speaking about bringing your whole self to the workplace, being yourself. It's more easier said than done. And also, how do you deal with success? How do you deal with people that probably don't see kindly to your success? You know, and I think you 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 brought that to the forefront when you spoke about not caring about the opinions of people that don't really matter and so forth. But I know that must have been a journey anyway. But I just want to say thank you so much for the first half of, of, of finding your path. And I just want to say, everyone, go and have a go and have a break. Go and find a copper. Don't go too far because we're going to be back very quickly, and we're going to deep dive into the world of Layla, and she's going to share a bit more about her work, about her world, about her thinking, about her story, and you'll get to know a bit more of this amazing person. So don't go too far. We'll be back shortly. finding your path this episode is sponsored by the mentors mentor providing executive support to leaders and partners in organizations who are committed to creating truly inclusive environments improving employee well-being and developing their emerging leaders if you want to find out more about how the mentors mentor can support you or your organization please contact Herman Stewart via LinkedIn or email herman at hermanstewart.com. Thank you. I mean, it's been so enthralling the first half and you've been speaking about your backstory. That that just makes me have a greater understanding of why you're so passionate about what you do. And, you know, um, I'm really grateful for the fact that you spoke about a few of the, the, the pivotal milestones and the pivotal moments that has inspired a really congruent, deep desire to provide transformation within the working environment. I, I get it. I get it. And I can see where it comes from. It comes from a deep place. So what I want to find out about is a bit more about your work. So, Share with us what is it exactly what you do and, you know, something that, you you know, you're really proud about. I know that you're doing the report. Well, you've done the report and you, you need to go through that process. But just share a bit more about your work and so forth. Absolutely. I'd be pleased to. So on the executive search side, which is Leila McKenzie Associates, it is um, we often do, well, they tend to be kind of C-suite, marzipan layer, as we call it. Um, board level type opportunities. I tend to get called either A, because it's quite a confidential search and perhaps mm. someone might be let, being let go, unfortunately, and mm. um, a piece of headhunting needs to be done, or it could be um, to diversify the boardroom. And mm. so I recently recruited for a CPO for a listed organization, first woman on 
the um, on the exec, which was fantastic, mm. um, and then uh, recruited the first female Asian Canadian lady for a big retailer, and um, with a within a success to the procurement officer opportunity. Um, and then on the dial side, which is uh, really the, the younger of the two businesses, dial stands for diverse, inclusive, aspirational leaders. And we are a global network of inspirational and leaders um, who want to learn and develop their diversity, inclusion and belonging strategies. And how do we do it? I guess we do it in a number of different ways. So we straddle across a few industries in terms of market insight, uh, the report that you mentioned. Thank you. Love to tell you about that. Um, and then also we do a lot of bespoke kind of content, uh, such as podcasts, as you well know. And I know you're joining me on the Diverse Inclusive Leaders podcast show soon, which will be phenomenal to have you uh, and share your story. And we also do a lot of other thought leadership pieces around what we call the Dial Lounge. So we often bring together seasoned leaders and also uh, leaders on their journeys uh, to success who are keen to discuss certain aspects. So, for example, we did a Dial Lounge around going beyond BAME. And it was interesting because it was, in, it was an interview with um, with four individuals, John Barnes, who you probably uh, know is a, a former footballer and very outspoken sports pundit, um, very, very big on talking about race and ethnicity, David Gravenberg, who's the CEO for the Commonwealth Games Federation, Sanjay Bandari, who's the chair for Kick It Out, a charity that kicks out racism in football, which is wonderful. And one of the MDs uh, for Accenture who uh, leads on the Afro-Caribbean network, Andrew Pierce, and we were talking about going beyond BAME. What does that actually mean? Um, you and I are both BAME, in inverted commas, yet I'm Chinese, I'm Oriental, uh, you are a black male, I'm female. Um, actually, there's so many different things that fit within that umbrella, which I think, uh, you know, really the world of diversity and inclusion and belonging needs to move on further than where it is. And obviously, it's a constantly evolving, living, breathing, sleeping thing that grows organically as time goes on. And obviously, we're trying to push and spearhead as much as we possibly can all those different fundamental aspects. Mm. Um, on the review side, which I'm so excited about, and I have to say is one of my current most proud achievements. And when I say achievement, really, this is a collective achievement because it is not just about me. It is about everyone else um, and I've got a phenomenal team who, who supports me and the great work that we are trying to do at present with moving the dial so this review is called the Mackenzie Dallas Packer review and a couple of weeks ago it was disseminated to the FTSE 500 CEOs the heads of the NHS the civil service and government mm. we chose that collective because that compensates 70 to 80 percent of the UK working population and in this report which we call the MDP uh, review for short uh, we uh, we've collaborated with Ipsos Mori which is you know again it's just a fantastic business we're very fortunate and lucky that Ben Page who's the CEO of Ipsos Mori is now Dial's chairman our non-executive chairman um, and obviously we'll be recruiting for a number of non-execs over the course of the next six months um, but he's been instrumental also in helping drive forward the report the report is seeking to look at the CEOs and their minus two. So basically they're what we would call the CLT and the exec. So what is the composition 
of that piece that sits below the CEO within those organizations. Um, but we're not just assessing this in terms of race or LGBTQ+, or gender. We're looking at what we call inclusive diversity and inclusion and belonging. So this is what we call the Dial Global Dial. And the Dial Global Dial represents holistic diversity and inclusion and belonging. Uh, we've partnered with some incredible research partners. So for each of the 10 facets of the dial, uh, we've partnered with leading firms like Stonewall on the LGBT plus facet, the Centre for Aging Better on the age facet, Mind and Minds at Work on the mental health and wellness facet. The Hamden Alexander Review on the gender facet, the Sir John Parker Review on the ethnicity facet, and, and so and so forth. We've cross-checked all the intersectionalities to ensure that we are at the forefront. So, for example, great work done uh, within gender, but often it does not take note of those that would class um, themselves as non-binary meaning that they don't relate to being male or female. And so um, we've really taken note of all those idiosyncratic details so that this can um, be as up-to-date and, and modern as it possibly can be. And it's an annual re review that happens every single year. So we'll be iterating it every year. We'll be taking it global next year as well within the Fortune organizations, which is very exciting. And the results go live in October. So we will see where organizations sit within their respective holistic dials and we will be able to provide a, um, a diagnostic simulation for organizations to see where they sit and which areas ultimately they're doing great on and which areas they can work on um, and really develop further. So that is the goal. The goal of the Mackenzie Dallas Pack Review is to move the dial in all aspects of diversity and inclusion and belonging and provide a real time, um, real actionable measures, recommendations from our board, um, which put together a great review board with lots of seasoned individuals with experience across um, many different sectors and arenas to help us actually drive forward really tangible, mm. actionable recommendations that can allow organizations to really put this at the front of their agenda and move that dial. Wow. <clears throat> That's a lot going on there. And listening to um, just the passion, listening to the detail, the, you know, how intricate it is, um, how, you know, insightful it is, how searching it is as well and getting people to publish their standing and so forth. It's, it, it's clearly showing that this is a deep passion of yours, you know, so from executive search, and it's funny because when I'm listening, I'm thinking about the story, I'm thinking about, you know, being a bright student, um, you know, having your own challenge around this dyslexia, but, you know, being the top of the year, not finding work, um, then having to um, start, start a business, going through that, then working for a uh, uh, a recruitment aid, a recruitment organization, then starting your own, then it's almost you all the way to, to, to where you are now. It's, it's, you know, it's quite detailed, you know, and it's got a lot of different things on the path. And also I want to say around when you said about entrepreneurs, you don't feel that you're probably um, able to, 
to, to, to call yourself one yet. Um, being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily about the outcome or that definitely you've achieved a success. It's about being able to take on board opportunities and being able to frame it and create something that can then um, capitalize or can productize or commercialize the opportunity. And you have clearly been doing that along the journey. But my question is, where did this start? Because I know that you was a very bright student at school. I mean, you had six you know, six A's and two, you know, two A stars, three B's, two C's, done very well, very bright student. But when you was at school, what did you want to do? I wanted to be a vet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a vet because I love animals. And I don't think you've met Maud, our, our dog, uh, before, who's been locked out unceremoniously uh, during this podcast. But I love animals. I love animals. And uh, I think I always wanted to to help animals. Um, clearly, well, I was going to say clearly before I wanted to help people, but I love people as much as I love animals. Um, but I always wanted to be a vet. So, uh, yes, not quite sure ha- what happened really with, uh, with that dream. Um, but... <laughs> That's, no, no, that's that's fine because that's that's not all ethos of finding your path. You know, a lot of times how you find your path is one thing leads to another. You know, having one aspiration and as, as you stretch to that aspiration, then you see something else that draws your heart even more and then you go in that direction. So it's never just linear how we get to where we get to, but it's so important that we are passionate that we we do have values that we do have courage that we are resilient that we are determined that we do overcome disappointment um, and that we do become what we we should be I mean I've got a few more questions to ask before we before we end Um, and I definitely want to touch on the point when I spoke about just being your you know, bringing your whole self to the office place and you found it difficult at times. Um, what would you say it means to bring your whole self to the office space? I think that to bring your full self to work is not always an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that each and every one of us will bring our Saturday selves into the office However, I think being able to fully express who you are in whatever guise that might be, whether it is that you suffer with mental health issues, that you are LGBTQ+, you do have a certain cultural background that means um, certain things are going to be important or critical to you. I think we need to be able to express those things in the workplace. We need to be in a workplace that ultimately is open and accepting of those differences and those often cultural idiosyncratic details. Because if we can't express who we are, whether it be through our religion, our belief, who we are as a person, very difficult to A, feel that you truly belong and you are meant to be within this organization, Mm. but also hard to be as productive as you might like to be because you're having to pander to the expectations of 
the masses in order to feel you are conforming. Mm. Now, I've seen lots of great examples of organizations that are open and able, but I think it really is creating those safe places where people don't feel that they will be shot down or criticized for looking, sounding, behaving mm. in a certain way. Mm. Because that hampers creativity as well. It, create, it hampers, uh, you know, innovation. And so actually being, um, being as much as who we really are and not hiding from mm. who we really are or okay. wearing that mask as many of us do I think within certain situations, who aren't comfortable to talk about those mm -hmm. things. Now, we, we, we touched on mental health and you know, dyslexia, neurodiversity, uh, you know, earlier. And it was quite a while later until I found out I was dyslexic and then it all made absolute sense. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly on the mental health side, you know, I, I still take antidepressants and anti-anxiety tablets um to to support controlling this mm -hmm. um you know and a good a good friend of mine jeff mcdonald who speaks out a lot on on mental health and wellness puts it very very well it says when we have a health and safety plan where is the health plan and where um you know where is the capability to actually speak about these things without being fearful of the potential repercussions. Mm -hmm. Now, in a way, I'm very fortunate because I run my own organizations. And of course, I encourage those that work within the business and with us to be open about as much as they possibly can and as much as they want and feel comfortable to share. Mm. But I appreciate that's not the same for those that work perhaps within corporate organizations where there is, um, you know, perhaps a certain way of doing things here or a certain culture. Um, but for me, it's perhaps been to a degree, I want to say slightly easier because I think it's always an embarrassing thing. Well, it's not always an embarrassing thing, but I think it is formatively been, you know, lots and lots of taboo subjects. And, you know, especially when you're young, you definitely don't always want to talk about these things. I think when you're young in particular, um, you know, more conscious of trying to fit the norm and, you know, being a little chameleon-esque, as I like to call it, you know, you change colour depending on the surrounding that you're in because you're worried about uh, what may happen in the environment. Um, and I remember someone once said to me, a, a not particularly nice person, actually, who's a, a very well, quite a well-known business person said, um, you know, if you stick your head above the parapet, Layla, you will get shot at, so be prepared for it. And I stuck with me up until this day. And I think, why would and should people be scared to stick their head above the parapet when what they want to do is with good meaning and good heart and good faith and they want to do the best work for, you know, within the job that they're doing? Why? What is wrong with that? I'd always ask why. I'd always encourage anyone, in fact, anyone who's listening to this right now, if you're struggling, find people to speak to. Having mentors and having peers around you and having people who care, mm. care about your best interests, not mm. about self-interest, but they care about your personal best self and they care about you they want to see you succeed and they want to see you do well um, because they care about you as a human being. Stick with people like that and stick with people who inspire you, motivate you, make 
you a better version of yourself because ultimately none of us can go through life, let alone business, by ourselves. And so the only way I've ever made it through is by seeking to find people that inspire me. Might even be people that I don't know. Mm. I mean, back in the day, people I'd see on TV, my parents, you know, whomever, you can draw inspiration from so many different crevices. I mean, you, when you start looking for inspiration and what's around you, actually, there's a lot more good things than there are bad things. And it's important that we stick with those and um, try and repel as quickly as we can any of those negative forces that are having bad influences on us especially when you're young, and you know this better than I do, Helen, because you do such great work for a living with everything. Every child uh, needs a mentor, and I, I believe that that is what every child should have, actually, um, because I think back and I think, well, had I had a mentor, certainly within business and career and whatnot, not necessarily a teacher, that would have made a huge difference mm -hmm. because we're very impressionable as a young age. We're like sponges. Yeah. And, you know, it disapparates a little as we get older. But certainly um, having those influences within early phases of your life makes uh, all the difference. And sometimes it could be that very little bit of difference that changes the path of a person's life for the better. You know, given an opportunity to share your wisdom that you've gleaned from all your years and you had an opportunity to speak to you as 21, what would you say? I'd say don't care as much about what people think, but make sure you're not being influenced by the right people. Ultimately, I wouldn't actually change anything because I think it is life is a labyrinth and the path that leads us on are twists and turns. We wonder whether the right or wrong choices to make at the time, but ultimately it's led us to where we are today. And so no regrets. And finally... What do you want to be remembered for, Leila? You know, if people could remember you for something, what would you like to be remembered for? For being a kind person with a good heart. Mm. Wow. How can people find you if they want to come and look for you and look for where you are? They can ask you or they can find me on LinkedIn <laughs> or you can shameless plug coming up or you can come and visit us at www.darglobal.org or laylamckenzie.com. Um, but always on LinkedIn, always love to chat, always love to speak to inspiring, motivating individuals like yourself, mm -hmm. Herman. Um, so thank you ever so much indeed for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time, the dedication and the work that goes into podcasting because, of course, um, you know, I do this as well myself and you are a spectacular host. As I said to you in the break, you have a very velvety voice. I could listen to it all day. So um, well done you. You do a fantastic job. I really appreciate it. Okay. Leila, I just want to say thank you for your time, for your contribution. Thank you for your contribution towards creating equality um, championing people that don't have a voice and also recruiting and bringing the right people in the right place because we know leadership is where equality and all these things really start and I just want to say thank you for being you you are a generous creative and um, very smart person you know and and just heart massive heart very authentic keep being you and uh, and I just want to say thank you for joining us Leila. Pleasure has been all mine.
Herman, I love you. I know we're going to do great things together. <laughs> I'll see you very soon. And I want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us on Finding Your Path with Leila McKenzie Delis. And just look up, look up her work and find out more about what she does at Dial Global and LinkedIn and so forth. And just implement the things that she shared. I think that she's been very open, very generous and very encouraging. And thank you for being with us. Look forward to seeing you or being with you next week. Take care.